Sherlock Holmes. We present Barry Foster as Sherlock Holmes and David Buck as Dr. Watson in a new dramatization of the short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The Copper Beaches, dramatized by Michael Bakewell, with Rosemary McHale as Violet Hunter and Tony Church as Mr. Rootcastle. Look at this, Watson. Just look at this. It marks my zero point by Nadir. Dear Mr. Holmes, I am very anxious to consult you as to whether I should or should not accept a situation which has been offered to me as governess. Yes. I shall call at half past ten tomorrow if I do not inconvenience you. Yours faithfully, Violet Hunter. Can you deny that I have touched bottom, Watson? My practice will soon degenerate into an agency for recovering lost lead pencils. <laughs> oh, the days of the great cases are past. Man, at least criminal man has lost all enterprise and originality. But it is half past ten now. Oh, and that, if I'm not mistaken, is her step upon the stair. Oh, well. Let us resign ourselves to the inevitable. Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Yes, my dear young lady, do come in. My colleague, Dr. Watson, is Violet Hunter. You will excuse me troubling you, I'm sure. But I have had a very strange experience, Mr. Holmes. I have no parents or relations from whom I could ask advice, so I thought that you would perhaps be kind enough to tell me what I should do. To judge from your brief note, Miss Hunter, your problem does not sound to be altogether in my line, but pray take a seat and tell me all about it. I shall be happy to do anything that I can to serve you. You are most kind, Mr. Holmes. I knew that I could rely on your courtesy. Oh. Uh, I have been a governess for five years in the family of Colonel Spence Munro. But two months ago, the Colonel received an appointment in Nova Scotia, so that I found myself without a situation. I advertised and I answered advertisements without success. At last, the little money which I had saved began to run short, and I was at my wit's end as to what I should do. There is a well-known agency for governesses in the West End called Westerways, and there I used to call about once a week in order to see whether anything had turned up which might suit me. Westerways was the name of the founder of the business, but it is really managed by Miss Stoper. Oh. She sits in her own little office, and the ladies who are seeking employment wait in the anteroom and are then shown in one by one when she consults her ledgers and sees whether she has anything which would suit them. Mm-hmm. Well, when I called last week, I was shown into the little office as usual, but I found that Miss Stoper was not alone. And what is the name of this young lady, Miss Stoper? Miss Violet Hunter, Mr. Rucastle. A prodigiously stout man with a very smiling face and a great heavy chin which rolled in fold upon fold over his throat sat at her elbow with a pair of glasses on his nose looking very earnestly at me. That will do. She's the one. I could not ask for anything better. Capital, capital. Uh, sir? Um, you are looking for a situation, miss. Yes, As sir. governess. 
Yes, sir. And what salary do you ask? I had four pounds a month in my last place with Colonel Spence Munro. Sweaty labour, sweaty labour. How could anyone offer so pitiful a sum to a lady with such uh, attractions and accomplishments? Oh, my accomplishments, sir, may be less than you imagine. A little French, a little German, music and drawing. Well, that is all beside the question. The point is, have you or have you not the bearing and deportment of a lady? There it is in a nutshell. If you have not, you are not fitted for the rearing of a child who may someday play a considerable part in the history of the country. But if you have, why then how could any gentleman ask you to accept anything under three figures? Your salary with me, madam, would commence at a hundred pounds a year. Very generous. I'm sure you will agree, Miss Hunter. Yes, Mr. It is also my custom to advance to my young ladies half their salary beforehand so that they meet any little expenses of their journey and wardrobe. That is most considerate. May I ask where you live, sir? Uh, Hampshire. Charming rural place, the Copper Beaches, five miles on the far side of Winchester. And my duties, sir, I should be glad to know what they would be. One child, just the one, a dear little rumper, six years old. Oh, if you could see him killing cockroaches with a slipper. Smack, 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 three gone before you could say knife. (laughs) My sole duties, then, would be to take charge of a single child. Uh, No, not the sole, not the sole, my dear young lady. Your duty would be to obey any little commands my wife might give you, provided always that there was such commands as a lady might with propriety obey. You see no difficulties. I should be happy to make myself useful. Uh, Quite so. In dress now, for example, we are faddy people, you know. If you were asked to wear any dress which we might give you, you would not object to our little whim. Um, no. Or to sit here or sit there. That would not be offensive to you. Oh, no, not at all. Or to cut your hair quite short before you come to us. You would not object to that, eh? I could hardly believe my ears, Mr. Holmes. As you can see, my hair is somewhat luxuriant. Indeed, Miss Hunter. It has been considered artistic. (laughs) Its uh, chestnut colour is quite distinctive. I could not dream of sacrificing it. Miss Hunter, I'm afraid it is quite essential. It is a little fancy of my wife's and lady's fancies, you know, Miss Hunter, must be consulted. I am sorry, but it is quite impossible. You won't cut your hair? No, sir, I really could not. Then that quite settles the matter. I had better inspect a few more of your young ladies, Miss Stuber. Uh, of course, Mr. Rucastle. Do you desire your name to be kept upon the books, Miss Hunter? If you please, Miss Stuber. It seems rather useless if you refuse excellent offers in such a fashion. You can hardly expect us to exert ourselves to find another such opening for you. Good day to you, Miss Hunter. Show the next young lady in, if you please. Well, Mr. Holmes... When I got back to my lodgings and found little enough in the cupboard and unpaid bills on the table, I began to ask myself whether I had not been rather foolish. After two days, I was going to ask whether the place was still open, and then I received a letter from Mr. Rucastle offering me £120 a year. He said his wife was attracted by my description and was anxious for me to come. He was firm about my hair, but hoped that the increased salary might recompense me. And that was all? He said that his wife wished me to wear a particular electric blue dress indoors in the mornings. Sounds very peculiar to me. It belonged to his daughter, who has gone to Philadelphia. Order still. I have made up my mind to accept, Mr. Holmes. I thought, however, that before taking the final step, I should like to submit the whole matter to your consideration. Well, Miss Hunter, if your mind is made up, that settles the question. But you would not advise me to refuse. I confess it is not a situation I should like 
a sister of mine to apply for. But the money, Mr. Holmes, the money. But, it, but that is what makes me uneasy. Why should they give you £120 a year when they could have their pick for £40? Well, there seems to me to be only one possible explanation. Mr. Rucastle seemed to be a very kind, good-natured man. Is it not possible that his wife is a lunatic? That he humours her fancies in every way to prevent an outbreak? Even if that were so, it does not seem to me to be a very nice household for a young lady. I agree, I agree. I thought that if I told you all the circumstances, you would understand afterwards if I wanted your help. I should feel so much stronger if I felt that you were behind me. Oh, you may carry that feeling away with you at any time, day or night. A telegram would bring me to your help. Oh, then that is enough for me. I shall go down to Hampshire quite easy in my mind now. My poor hair will be shorn tonight. And I shall leave for Winchester tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. You have been most considerate and reassuring. Your little problem promises to be the most interesting which has come my way for months. You may rely on me. Good day, gentlemen. Good day, Miss Hunter. At least she seems to be a young lady well able to take care of herself. She will need to be. I am much mistaken if we do not hear from her before many days are past. Holmes, I'm thinking of turning in. What? You're going to be at that all night? I rather fancy so. What is it? Acetone analysis. Oh. Now, be a good fellow, will you, and let me get on with it. Yeah. Good night, then. Telegram, Holmes. From Miss Hunter. Oh, do you think so? Uh, get the Bradshaw, will you, Watson? <laughs> what does she say? Please be at the Black Swan Hotel at Winchester midday tomorrow. Do come. I am at my wit's end. Will you come with me? Yes, of course. Yes, there's a train at half past nine. It is due in at Winchester at half past eleven. Ah. Everything looks so bright and clear on a day like this. Look at the roofs of that farm over there. Mm. You know, Watson, that is one of the curses of a mind with a turn like mine. I look at those farmhouses, and the only thought which comes to me is of the impunity with which crime may be committed there. Oh, horrifying. They always fill me with a certain horror. It is my belief, Watson, founded upon my experience, that the lowest and vilest alleys in London do not present a more dreadful record of sin than does the smiling and beautiful countryside. But how can you possibly maintain such an idea? The reason is very obvious. The pressure of public opinion can do in the town what the law cannot accomplish. There is no lane so vile that the scream of a tortured child or the thud of a drunkard's blow does not beget sympathy and indignation among the neighbours. 
and then the whole machinery of justice is ever so close that a word of complaint can set it going and there is but a step between the crime and the dock. But look at these lonely houses, each in its own fields, filled for the most part with poor, ignorant folk who know little of the law. Think of the deeds of hellish cruelty, the hidden wickedness which may go on year in, year out in such places, and none the wiser. Had this lady who appeals to us for help gone to live in Winchester, I should never have had a fear for her. It is the five miles of country which makes the danger. Still, it is clear that she is not personally threatened. No, no, if she can come to Winchester to meet us, she can get away. Quite so, she has her freedom. What can be the matter then? Can you suggest no explanation? I have devised seven separate explanations, each one of which would cover the facts as far as we know them. But which of these is correct can only be determined by the fresh information which shall no doubt be waiting for us. Ah, well, there is the tower of the cathedral, and we shall learn soon enough what is driving Miss Hunter out of her wits. At least, Mr. Holmes, my theory which I mentioned at Baker Street has no foundation. Mrs. Rucastle is not mad. She is silent and morose, but sane enough, and much younger than her husband. Is she his second wife, eh? Yes. Alice, the daughter of his first wife, left for Philadelphia because she had an unreasoning aversion for her stepmother. How do you know that? Mr. Rucastle told me. And what about your little charge? I have never seen so utterly spoilt and so ill-natured a creature. One moment he's in a savage fit of passion, the next he's sulky. His only amusement is in giving pain. He pulls the wings off flies. He traps birds and mice and then torments them. But he has little to do with my story. Oh, I'm glad of all details, whether they seem to you to be relevant or not. Now, what about the servants? There are two, a man and his wife. Toller is a rough, uncouth man. He smells of drink all the time, yet no one seems to take any notice. His wife is very tall and strong sour-faced, as silent as Mrs. Rucastle, but even less amiable. Mm -hmm. Now, to your story. For the first day or two, life was very quiet. And then, on the third day, Mrs. Rucastle came down after breakfast and whispered something to her husband. Yes, yes, of course, my dear. Miss Hunter, we are very much obliged to you for falling in with our little whims so far as to cut your hair. I assure you it has not detracted one iota from your appearance. Now let us see how the electric blue dress will become you. You will find it laid out on the bed in your room. It had obviously been worn before, but it could not have been a better fit if I had been measured for it. I went down to the drawing room, which stretches along the whole of the front of the house. There are three long windows which go right down to the floor. A chair had been placed close to the central window with its back turned towards it. Be so kind as to sit down here, Miss Hunter. The dress looks well on her, doesn't it, my dear? It is all that we could have desired. Do you read Punch, Miss Hunter? Rarely, Mr. Rucastle. Uh, then you do not know the anecdote of the curate's egg. Curate's egg? A uh, uh, curate was taking breakfast at the table of his bishop, and his egg turned out to be a bad one. I'm afraid you've got a bad egg, said the bishop. 
Oh, no, my lord, I assure you, stammered the curate, p -p -p parts of it are excellent. <laughs> oh, the man summoning the steward. Look here, steward, if this is coffee, I want tea. But if this is tea, I wish for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the man who wrote to the paper, I used your soap two years ago, since when I have used no other. <laughs> I laughed until I was quite weary, but Mrs. Rucastle never so much as smiled. Two days later, we went through the same performance. You can imagine how curious I became. They were always very careful to turn my face away from the window so that I began to be consumed with desire to see what was behind my back. My hand mirror had been broken, and on the next occasion I concealed a piece of glass in my handkerchief. In the midst of my laughter, I put the handkerchief to my eyes and was able, with a little management, to see all that was happening. The Southampton Road runs past the house, and there was a man standing there looking in earnestly at me. I lowered my handkerchief, and saw Mrs. Rucastle's eyes fixed upon me. <laughs> Jethro, there is some impertinent fellow on the road there who is staring at Miss Hunter. Uh, no friend of yours, I trust. I know no one in these parts. Uh, then kindly turn round and motion him to go away. I did as I was told, Mr. Holmes, and the same instant Mrs. Rucastle drew down the blind. That was a week ago, and since then I have not sat again in that window, nor have I worn the blue dress. <coughs> Pray continue, Miss Hunter. The whole story has the most fascinating features. My next experience was a very strange one. I felt rather sentimental about my hair, and I kept it in a coil at the bottom of my trunk. Some days ago, I was going through an old chest of drawers in my room. The bottom drawer was locked but I had a key that fitted it. You will never guess what I found inside. Pray enlighten us. It was my coil of hair. Or rather, it wasn't, for mine was still in my trunk, but I assure you it was absolutely identical. Isn't that extraordinary? Extraordinary. My suspicions were thoroughly aroused, Mr. Holmes, and I decided to explore the house, but I had to be careful because of the dog. Dog? A giant mastiff. It's kept locked up in an outhouse by the kitchen during the day, but they let it out at nights to patrol the grounds. I saw it the other night, in the moonlight, by the Copper Beaches. It is as big as a calf. But what is it they're plotting? That's just the point, Mr. Holmes. The north wing of the house is uninhabited. But I noticed that one of the windows is kept shuttered. Mr. Rucastle told me that he used it as a dark room, but I felt sure there was something about it that I was not meant to know. Yesterday, I decided to have a look at it. How very brave of you. The north wing is always kept locked. In the evening, I saw Toller coming out of there carrying a black linen bag. He was very drunk, and he left the key in the door. I turned the key, and I went in. There was a little passage in front of me. It was unpapered and uncarpeted. Round the corner, there were three doors. The centre door was closed and barricaded with one of the bars of an iron bed, padlocked to a ring in the wall. Suddenly, I heard a noise within the room. My nerves failed me completely and I ran. Oh, oh. Oh. 
dear Miss Hunter, I, I thought it must be you when I saw the door open. I'm so frightened. My dear young lady, what has frightened you? I was foolish enough to go into the North Wing. It was so lonely and eerie that I was scared out of my wits. Only that? What do you mean? Why do you think I lock this door? I can't imagine. To keep people out who have no business there. I'm sure if I'd known. Well, you know now, and if you ever put your foot over that threshold again, I'll throw you to the mastiff. And that is why I sent you the wire, Mr. Holmes. It was easy enough to get away this morning, but I must be back by three, for Mr. and Mrs. Rucastle are going out for the evening. Indeed. Now, tell me, Miss Hunter, in what state was Toller when you left this morning? He was hopelessly drunk. Ah. I heard his wife say she could do nothing with him. Is there a cellar with a good strong lock? Yes, the wine cellar. Now, you seem to have acted all through this matter like a brave and sensible girl. Do you think you can perform one more feat? I will try. Watson and I will be at the Copper Beaches at seven o'clock, by which time the Rucastles will have departed and Toller, I trust, will be incapable. There remains only Mrs. Toller. If you can contrive to send her into the cellar and then turn the key upon her, you would facilitate matters immensely. I'll do it. I am sure that you understand there is only one possible explanation. You were brought to the Copper Beaches to impersonate the person who is imprisoned in that room. Alice, the daughter of Mr. Rucastle's first marriage, who is supposed to be in Philadelphia. Her hair had been cut off, possibly in some illness, and that is why yours had to be sacrificed also. It was her tresses that you found. And the blue dress? Was obviously well known to her fiancé, the man who watched you from the road. Mr. Rucastle made you laugh so that he would think you were perfectly happy and made you motion him to go away. The dog is let loose at night as a further precaution. So much is fairly clear. The most serious point in the case is the disposition of the child. Oh, what has that to do with it? As a medical man, you frequently gain light on the tendencies of a child by studying the parents. Uh, yes. The reverse holds true. The child is abnormally cruel, which bodes ill for the girl who is in the parent's power. However, you must hasten away, Miss Hunter. At seven o'clock, we will be with you. Well, Miss Hunter, have you managed it? Don't you hear? That is Mrs. Toller in the cellar. Ah. Her husband is flat out on the kitchen rug. Here are his keys. You've done well indeed. Now lead the way, and we shall soon see the end of this black business. This is the door to the north wing, the one that Toller left open. Mm -hmm. Down this passage. This is the door to the shuttered room, Mr. Holmes. Well, the bar across it should not constitute too grave an obstacle. We can simply cut the cord which holds it in position. <laughs> remove the bar, Watson, if you please. Now, try this one. No. No, that one either. No. These are the only keys, Miss Hunter. Yes. Yes, the scoundrel must keep it always with him. No sound from within. I trust that we're not too late. Watson, I shall need your shoulder to help break down the door. Hey. Stand away, Miss Hunter. Are you ready, Watson? Ready. Ah.
There has been some villainy here. Rucastle has guessed your intentions, Miss Hunter, and has carried off his victim. But how? I threw a skylight. Ah, we shall soon see how he manages. Be so good as to help me out. What's this? Ah, yes. Here's the end of a long, light ladder against the eaves. Ah. That's how he did it. But that is impossible. The ladder was not there when the Rucastles went away. It is certainly curious. It must have been quite an athletic feat for someone of Mr. Rucastle's constitution. And why carry her away from the outside when he could perfectly easily unlock the door? I can only conceive that he wanted to confuse Miss Hunter. Ah. He pretended to go away and then returned secretly and abducted his daughter. He is a clever and dangerous man. I, I should not be very much surprised if this were he whose step is on the stairs. Watson, I think that it would be as well for you to have your pistol ready. Very well. Ah. I warned you, Miss Hunter. Where is she? It is for me to ask you that, you thieves. Spies and thieves. I have caught you. You are in my power now, and I know how to serve you. He's gone for the dog! I have my revolver, Miss Hunter. Quickly, let us go down to the front door. Oh, my God, my God, the dog's got loose. It's too late since he was fed. <laughs> He's got the master. It is Carla, I presume. Yes, sir. Go and release your wife from the cellar. Here are the keys. Yes, sir. Now, Watson, let us see what can be done for the wretched roof castle. It is a pity you didn't let me know what you were planning. For I would have told you that your pains were wasted. It is clear that Mrs. Tuller knows more about this business than any of us. I will soon explain it all to you, sir. I'd have done so sooner if I'd not been locked in the cellar. Now, just sit yourself down, Mrs. Tuller, and tell us what happened. Miss Alice was not a happy girl. Her father never treated her right after he married again, and it got much worse after she met that Mr. Fowler. Her fiancé? She met him at a friend's house. It seems she had rights of her own by her mother's will, and Mr. Rucastle was determined the money shouldn't go out of the house. He wanted her to sign a paper so that he could have the use of her money, even if she married, but she wouldn't do it. He kept going on at her until the poor thing got brain fever and had to have all the lovely hair cut off. But that young Mr. Fowler, he stuck to her as true as a man could be. And so Rucastle locked up his daughter and got Miss Hunter down from London to impersonate her. That was it, sir. But Mr. Fowler, being a determined man, sought out your acquaintance and persuaded you, by certain arguments, uh, metallic or otherwise, that your interests were the same as his. Mr. Fowler was always a very kind-spoken, free-handed gentleman. And in this way he managed that your good man should have no want of drink and that a ladder should be ready at the moment when your master had gone out. You might have been there all the time, sir. You have it, just as it happened. Well, let us trust that after so many tribulations they may find happiness. <sighs> Watson, will that blackguard Rucastle live? His throat is badly torn, but I fancy he'll survive. Yes. Oh, if I'm not mistaken, the country surgeon is arriving with a distressed-looking woman whom I take to be Mrs. Rucastle. Our being here may be considered somewhat questionable. I think it is high time that we escorted Miss Hunter back to Winchester. That was Barry Foster as Sherlock Holmes and David Buck as Dr. Watson 
in The Copper Beaches by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Dramatised for radio by Michael Bakewell. Violet Hunter was played by Rosemary McHale, Jethro Rucastle by Tony Church, and Mrs. Toller by Zena Walker. Miss Stoper, Irene Sutcliffe, Mrs. Rucastle, Stella Tanner, and Toller by William Edel. The play was directed in our Birmingham studios by Vanessa Whitburn.